Welcome to another Griffith University podcast. Back on the point of time. Thanks everyone for coming uh, to uh, today's Griffith Asia Institute Research Seminar. Today we, we have a presentation from Dr. Hanjun Kim. Hanjun is a Senior Research Fellow at Griffith Asia Institute, the Centre for Governance uh, and Public Policy. Just a little bit of background for those of you who aren't aware of Hanjun's many achievements. Hanjun is currently an Australian Research Council Discovery Early Career Research um, Researcher. Hanjun has published in a wide range of uh, top uh, quality outlets, including International Studies Quarterly, International Organisation, and he has a forthcoming book with Cornell uh, University Press on the massacres at Mount Haller. So, Hung Jun today is going to talk to us uh, about international relations theory and Chinese characteristics. Uh, so, without any further ado. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much for coming to my presentation. And then, uh, as you can see, the title of today's talk is the International Relations Theory with Chinese Characteristics. As many of you know, this is my new project, and which I just started in October last year. And then, still, it's in its early stage. I welcome any feedbacks and suggestions. And then for this presentation, I will probably spend like 45 minutes, uh, a little bit longer than the usual. But you know, that kind of tells me there's something I want to tell you about the Chinese art theory. Okay, let me start my presentation with uh, one recent episode. A few weeks ago, at the annual meeting of ISA San Francisco, there was a panel about the rise of Chinese art theory. Renowned Chinese scholars inside outside China were invited. The organizers did not expect it that many people would turn up and then assign a tiny room which would fit about 40 people. However, about 100 showed up and the room was fully packed. This episode tells us two things uh, besides the poor uh, planning and management of the organizers. The first, there is a growing interest in Chinese IR theory. And second, that this topic draws attention, apparently, much more than the expectation of the ISA organizers. Let me also tell you a personal story why I got interested in Chinese IR theory. I graduated from the Seoul National University, and Seoul National is one of three most prestigious schools in Korea, along with Yonsei and Goryeo. Among three, the Department of Political Science at Seoul National is most concerned with developing the so-called Korean IR, or the IR with the Korean problems and perspective. Uh, one of the reasons of developing the Korean theory is the emergence of the Chinese IR theory. This, uh, the attempt to develop the theory in Korea has recently been accelerated by the real-world changes, namely the rise of China and the renewed attention, uh, renewed U.S. attention to the region. The Korean scholars strongly believe that China, with its rise, have already started to theorize world politics differently. Uh, this project, they believe, started from theorizing international relations in East Asia which has been a home turf uh, for China, but at the same time is ongoing with the theorizing global order. Chinese community is, uh, is really rapidly catching up uh, by doing two things. The first, the universities and think tanks are aggressively inventing, uh, uh, inviting the prominent scholars worldwide to learn new trends and, and, and then also hosting them for a short visiting scholarship to teach courses. Second, 
So China already has a second largest IR community only next to the U.S. And these scholars are vigorously learning Western theories and translating them uh, into Chinese. Behind this fear that the Korean scholar has uh, lies a strong belief of two things. The first, the Chinese IR community is developing its own theory with Chinese characteristics. And second, this new theoretical framework, if invented, will be highly effective, posing a great threat to the Western IR theories. However, as you can see, these both beliefs are testable statements, and my goal today is to examine uh, them closely. One caveat uh, is that the current analysis uh, is based on my research of sources published in English, both inside and outside China. One rationale uh, for this is that when Chinese scholars address the possibility of IR theory with Chinese characteristics, main target audience is those mainstream IR scholars outside the China. However, there is a limitation since still many interesting works are still written in Chinese for Chinese scholars, and those materials published in English may not be a, a representative sample. So starting from June uh, next month, my research assistant and I will explore the Chinese materials, and I will incorporate them, uh, these findings in the future. But in the time being, I also made an effort to minimize the biases by conducting interviews with scholars in China, Hong Kong, and South Korea. Of course, these interviews are, at this point, also limited, since first, I do not have enough number, and then second, interviews were conducted in English on a voluntary basis. That also will be uh, complemented with the further interviews. But before moving into the Chinese IR theory, I want to ask first whether IR theory with any, not only Chinese, but any national characteristics is possible in the first place. This question touches upon the three aspects of IR theory, uh, and when we speak Chinese IR theory, it is mostly closely, uh, most, most closely related to the third dimension, the ethnocentrism in IR. Let's examine all three dimensions. The first, Walt, in his 1979 uh, book, Theory of International Politics, argues that international relations theory is different from the foreign policy analysis, which allows more room for the national differences and perspectives. In foreign policy analysis, incorporating national characteristics is taken for granted. However, in IR theory, like Walter's book or the Wendt's 1999 uh, book, Social Theory of International <laughs> Politics, we do not expect the country characteristics to be forefront. And second dimension is that sometimes this question addresses the scope of IR theory and ask, asks whether IR theory needs to be universal in its scope or whether it could be particularistic. In the former case, the theory should be applied to the whole system. And for the latter case, it can be applied to the subsystem, like a European or the East Asian system. Scholars generally think that there is an impulse toward universal theory, but there is also a room for studying the subsystem, like a European studies uh, or the East Asian um, studies. For Chinese scholars, as I mentioned, the current theorization is focused on international relations of East Asia, but for some, for some others, there is a strong aspiration that this distinct East Asian 
experience could be applied beyond East Asia. Finally, when people speak of theory with Chinese characteristics or Chinese school, uh, the sentiment behind this is ethnocentrism in IR. As many of you know, IR as a discipline from its beginning had a highly Anglo-Saxon origin. The defining literature were the E.H. Carr, uh, the 30 years, um, the 20 years crisis, and the Hans J. Morgenthau's uh, Politics of, Among Nations. The former author being British historian, and the latter, the German migrants to the U.S. Through Carr and Morgenthau, the realism became dominant. But between 1950s and early 1970s, with the behavioral revolution in social science, the discipline went through the first debate between the traditionalists who emphasized the historical and interpretive approach and the behavioralists who advocates a statistical method inspired by the natural uh, science. Here the, sh the, here, the divide between these two camps roughly coincided with the UK and the US. So through these debates, the twin concepts emerged. The first notion is IR as an American social science. And then second notion is English school. Let's examine both of them. Uh, it was Stanley Hoffman who referred IR as an American social science in his 1977 article. The Hoffman argued that IR was dominated by the scholars from the US, and questions they asked were too much focused on contemporary policy concerns. Many scholars after 10, 20, or 30 years after asked the same question and came up with the same answers. The English school is, according to Tim Dunn, is a group of scholars located mainly in the UK who have a common ontological disposition and are critical of the kind of scientific method advanced by the positivists. The school emerged around 1950s with a prime interest in international society and resurfaced in the late 1990s. Interestingly, these two concepts, American, IR as American social science and then the English school, are also at the very center of Chinese discourse these days. The first notion, IR as an American social science, comes up when the Chinese scholars evaluate the current status of IR and criticize the intellectual colonialism or the kind of dependency on turn uh, theories. And the second notion, the English school, is viewed as one possible and powerful model for Chinese school. For example, Ren Xiao at Fudan University writes, quote, the work of the English school were of interest in their own right, and as an alternative to the American IR theory. If there could be an English school, why not a Chinese school?" Unquote. So from this observation, I arrived at three conclusions. The first, the discourse about IR theory with national characteristics, whether it's useful or not, exists. And it is often very powerful, since the theme is very catchy and intuitive, as we can, as we can, we can see in the case of IR as an American social science. Second, however, the serious empirical study of the phenomena is not easy because it involves a serious self-reflection and examination, which always is extremely difficult. And third, the recent Chinese move is neither new nor the first attempt 
in this respect and is located within this larger efforts to move away from the U.S. impact and create indigenous and local or simply non-Western IR theories. Then, what is the significance of the Chinese move to the study of IR? There are three reasons why examining the Chinese case is timely and the first, the rise of China. The Robert Cox in his article famously argued the theory is for someone and for some purpose. This criticism of theory is valid for current IR and will be effective also if Chinese theory emerges. For the ISA panel I mentioned, the very first question from the discussant and the lingering theme of the Q&A session was whether Chinese IR theory is a political project for a political purpose. One recent example is how the peaceful rise, now it is a more peaceful development though, uh, argument became prevalent in Chinese scholarship as China tries to avoid being treated as a threat to the status quo as its power emerges, arises. The rise of China and the rise of the Chinese IR theory goes hand in hand, but so far the more attention was given to the former and then almost a little to the theory. Second, the history and international relations uh, is important. History matters in international relations. The relationship between history and theory has been one of core questions. As you can see, uh, as you can see later in the presentation, the almost all recent efforts to create the Chinese theory starts from its historical experience and ancient philosophy and tra uh, tradition, like Confucius. Or, um, Since many scholars base their theory on the ancient Chinese histories or philosophers, this will reignite the issue of presentism in IR, which is a tendency to use or often misuse history or classical thinkers to give legitimacy on a contemporary research program or theory. The Chinese case is interesting since the country is known for the state-run reconstruction of history, as you can see in the uh, Northeast Project, Northwest Project, and the Southwest Project, run by the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. The finally, exploring the Chinese move is important since there is a growing self-reflection and examination in IR scholarship these days. One example is the panels at the last year's ISA on the end of international relations theory, question mark. It was a lack of inter-paradigm debates and grand theory in IR which inspired this panel. And one of the participants, Colin White at Sydney University, has been more broadly arguing the failure of Western social science, so not just the IR but the social science in general. A similar trend is in the U.S. with a notable example of the Peter Kachenstein's trilogy of a civilization in international relations. The self-examination is further advanced in the U.S. recently with the devastating legislation to restrict the National Science Foundation Fund for the political science research project. All these contexts provide an important background for the Chinese IR theory. In a sense, all these self-reflections tells us that the search for, the, for alternative has already begun, and whether Chinese theory or the Chinese school could be the one 
is an important question. So since there are many fine overviews of IR as a discipline in China, I would not go in depth about it today. However, I want to point out one thing. In China, the history of IR is extremely short. The modern study of IR started when the Party Central Committee decided to strengthen the study of Chinese foreign relations in 1963. Since then, the new departments and the schools were created in major universities, including Ranmin, Peking, Tsinghua, and Fudan University. At the same time, there has also been an important trend in establishing the state-run or the quasi-state-run think tanks, such as Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Some further argues that, uh, argue that it is actually in 1978 when the IR actually began with the economic reform and opening up of Deng Xiaoping. In, 1978, uh, in 1979, Deng, Deng Xiaoping uh, stated, quote, the research on world politics, political science, and law needs to make up for the time lost, unquote. Which means that the education system was not uh, functioning, not fully functioning during the Cultural Revolutions. In addition, the pre-1976 IR in China was mainly Marxist, Leninist, and Maoist theory of international relations, such as imperialism, colonialism, peasant revolutions, and Maoist three-word theories. Interestingly, from this very beginning of the discipline, there was a call for Chinese theory. It was Huan Xiang, the foreign policy advisor to the Jun Lai, who first openly proposed the construction of IR theory with Chinese characteristics at the very first IR conference in Shanghai in 1987. So uh, this was directly linked and modeled to the Deng Xiaoping's uh, opening up and reform, which is often referred to as a socialism with Chinese characteristics. So immediately after the Huan Xiang's call for IR theory with Chinese characteristics, Liang Shouda, the head of the Department of International Politics at Peking University, provided the first cut definition arguing that it should include the following in order to be characterized as a, as a theory with Chinese characteristics. First, national interest should be the kernel uh, of all considerations. And second, the concept of means of production should be, Im uh, should be imported into the study of international politics. In other places, he writes that economic factor should be given the first considerations. And finally, the theory should promote development through reform, uh, safeguard world peace, uh, correctly hand, uh, handle the relationship between the stability and progress, and establish just and reasonable new international or order. This is kind of a vision of China. He, in other places, have written that in addition to being based in Chinese vision of socialism, it has to serve China's interest. I guess this summarizes the first cut and then the very crude notion of the Chinese characteristics. The Chinese IR scholarship since then has rapidly developed and expanded. There are several clear uh, evidences. The number of degree-granting institutions, the growth in faculty and students, and then the volume of journals and books publications, and then the quality of researchers and interaction with government policymakers show this development. 
The scholars identify two distinct trends in IR scholarship in China. One is the rise of the Western liberal IR theory, and then the other is the emergence of the Chinese IR theory or the Chinese school, which is much more sophisticated than the 1999 Liang Shoudas version. These two trends seem contradictory on the surface, but when we look closely, two trends go hand in hand. And those who are leading the second trend is, at the same time, those who led the first trend. For example, Qin Yaqing and then Yan Xuetong, who are currently pioneering the Chinese IR theory, have also been the icons of the constructivism and realism, respectively, as uh, introducers of the Western theories, both for the textbooks and translation of Western works. Let's examine uh, the each trend. First, the Chinese IR was and still is heavily influenced by the development in the West. Many surveys of the field suggest that the Western mainstream theories, among others, realism, liberalism, and constructivism, and to some extent English school, are live and well in China, dominating theoretical frameworks in major journal articles. The realism, or the great power politics, or the security studies, has always been at the center of IR scholarship in China. What is more interesting is the very recent post-2005 rise of the liberal and constructivist theories and topics, such as identity, globalization, global governance, international cooperation, interdependence, transnationalism, multilateralism, and international organizations. These are very strong trends, and as we will see in the later part of the presentation, scholars on this side often the junior faculty level scholars who are trained in the US or, U or the UK are, um, creates a group of critics or the skeptics to the efforts to build the Chinese IR theory. So that's the first big trend, westernization and western liberal IR. At the same time, there is also a very strong trend to find its own research agenda and develop the Chinese school of IR theory. It first came as a reaction to the increased attention to the Western theories. It was initially referred to as an indigenization of the Chinese IR research, which is to ask a uniquely Chinese question and use distinct Chinese philosophical concepts, concepts and research approaches. One scholar, interestingly, used a three stages of the development. The first, looking up to the West. The, which is the stage when the Chinese mainly import and learn the Western theories. And second, looking straight forwardly at the West, when the scholars became more critical and more selective of Western theories. And finally, looking down at the West, uh, when the scholars began to develop their own theory. The more recent trend can be summarized into three approaches, roughly divided into the three prominent scholars, Zhao Tingyang, Yan Xuetong, and then Qin Yaqing. Let's examine each approaches. Zhao Tingyang is a philosopher at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences and is not really an IR scholar. He became famous for his 2005 book, The Tianxia System. The Tianxia, or All Under Heaven, is widely understood as a unified world 
dominated by the one country or the Middle Kingdom, and neighbors and those beyond look for guidance and pay tribute. It is sometimes called the tributary system or the suzerain system. It is known as the uh, known as a ordering principle of East Asian international relations before the arrival of the Western nation-state system. The system is often described with several concentric circles, as you can see in this picture, with the emperor at the very center, and then the inner subject, and outer subject, and tributary states, and then the barbarians everywhere, north, south, uh, east, and west. So probably you guys are south barbarians, <laughs> western barbarians, depending on the perspective. So Zhao Tingyang uh, proposes a, the potential revival of the Tianxia system as an alternative to the existing international orders. Here, the Tianxia order is contrasted to the Westphalia order, which, according to him, is anarchic, zero-sum, military-dominated, and amoral system. The Tianxia order is understood as a hierarchical but stable alternative, since the system is run by a moral, cultural, and political power, and the participation is voluntary. The next scholar is Yan Xuetong, a realist area scholar who directs both the Institute of International Studies and School of International Relations at Tsinghua University. He often states, uh, quote, all IR theories are universal and they have no national characteristics. Thus, the goal of building a Chinese IR theory is not achievable, unquote. It sounds like he is opposing the efforts to create the Chinese IR theory, but on the contrary, he is the most fervent proponent of it. What he is opposing is the label, Chinese school. He is very keen on creating the universal IR theory based on China, China's historical experience, culture, and philosophy. Therefore, what he is assuming is that if theorizing by Chinese scholars is to be successful, the label, the Chinese school, is not necessary since it will become the universally valid IR theory, not Chinese IR theory. So for this reason, I find his work and his ambition most threatening and then somewhat imperialistic, uh, even more than the Zhao Tingyang, uh, Zhao Tingyang's bold and strong proposal for the revival of the ancient hierarchical system. Yan Xuetong's work involves rereading thinkers of the spring and autumn and the warring states period, like Confucius, Mencius, Hanfei and Sun Tzu, and his colleagues at the Tsinghua, Li Bin, also introduces the idea of the Mozi. The Yan Xuetong is also directing a many students and researchers at Tsinghua to go into the Chinese classics and find implications for the current IR. The more threatening fact uh, factor, I think, is that the Yan Xuetong is a strong proponent of the scientific method and methodological rigor, which can be an important bridge between mainstream theories and uh, mainstream IR theories and his own work. It is no wonder that among three scholars, the Yan Xuetong's work has been first uh, has been published first in major U.S. publishers. He had his book, which. Uh, actually is a collection of his uh, previous works in translation published in Princeton University Press in 2011. So this is the kind of first 
Well, well, the people have been saying that it has been the first event that the IR theoretical work, not not like a China China related work, has been published um, uh, by Chinese uh, scholar in a major U.S. He is also uh, strongly emphasizing the academic integrity and the quality of scholarly works, equivalent to the international standard. With this standard, he is serving as a as an editor of the Chinese Journal of International Politics, published quarterly in English by Oxford University Press, which is intended to bring the Chinese IR voice to the world. So he's very ambitious in terms of promoting IR theory. The third approach is led by Qin Yaqing, the executive vice president of the Chinese Foreign Affairs University, which is China's premier diplomatic training institution under the foreign ministry. He is known as the pioneer uh, who introduced the notion of Chinese school or the Chinese IR theory to the Chinese IR scholarship. He also is known as a constructivist who translated Wen's book. Unlike Yan Xuetong, the Qin Yaqing sees IR theory particularistic since, social th- since he believes that the social theory differs from the natural theory in that the former has a distinct geocultural birthmark. He sees that the time is ripe for the development of Chinese IR theory, but there are two serious obstacles. The first is the dominance of the Western discourse, and the second is the absence of the theoretical hardcore for the Chinese. He sees the two previous approaches, Zhao Tingyang and Yan Xueteng's work, incomplete because the Tian Xiao approach uses a tradi- uh, traditional Chinese concept for understanding the problem we face today. So that's the bringing the past or the traditional concepts to understand the current thing. And then he also thinks that the Yan Xuetong's work, which is also known as a Qinghua approach, although bringing the traditional thinkers and cultures, understands world affairs and the Chinese international behaviors by using imported Western concepts. So he argues that the first Yan Xuetong's theoretical construct is firmly based on positivist and rational approach, which is mainly, which means that the theory is mainly causal and hypothesis testing. And then second, also he believes that the analysis of Yan Xuetong is mostly based on using Western imported concepts such as power, hegemony, and balance, and so on. Therefore, for Qin uh, Yaqing, although Yan Xuetong's search for the ancient Chinese thinkers and thought is important, but his basic theoretical framework is, for Qin Yaqing, although Yan Xuetong's work uh, and, the, and the search for the ancient Chinese thinkers and, uh, is important, but he thinks that the Yan Xuetong's basic theoretical framework is identical to the Western theoretical construct, uh, which is realism. Instead, Qin Yaqing's approach is more, uh, he argues, is an interactive uh, approach, which he argues He's trying to construct a dialogue between the Western theory and the Chinese cultural thought. And then he also tried to replace the core, which is the, the, the core of the Western theory, which he believes is a rationality, with the Chinese core, which he ter- coined the term the relationality. So he brings the relationality into the core instead of the Western concept of rationality. But I think, but I think his theory is. Um, I, I met him and I had a conversation with him for one hour. But I think his theory is still in making, uh, rather than it's uh, all made. So now let's turn to the, the 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 evaluation, which can lead us to the tentative answer to our question. Let's start with promises. Apparently, Chinese efforts 
help us to move away from the mainstream theory and see other efforts. In addition, by introducing the Chinese history, uh, tradition, and thinkers, it has potential to enrich IR theory. Also, potentially, it could develop a theoretically critical and innovative concepts. So, uh, for example, Qin Yaqing's relationality has a potential, I think, to be a next uh, Benedict Anderson's uh, concept of imagined community. However, the currently, there are many serious obstacles. The first limitation is the political, institutional, and cultural constraints for academics in China. I think this is a serious problem, but not as serious as other obstacles. So I will not go in depth, but I'll instead introduce two recent observations. The first one is from the Bao uh, Gang He at the Deakin University in uh, 2001. He says, quote, the absence of academic freedom and democracy in China means that official selection and endorsement is a much more important criterion than peer review in judging the quality of social science research, unquote. Right. He's, not, he's, he's not the only one. The, uh, the other is the Victoria Hui uh, at the Notre, Notre, Dame Uni, uh, Notre Dame University in 2012 who said, quote, it is not surprising that China's most talented uh, want to study abroad and after graduation prefer to work at obscure Western universities rather than elite Chinese universities, unquote. But I think more serious problems are, are the rest. The Chinese scholars tend to get their, uh, the first thing is that the Chinese scholars tend to get their history wrong and then the romanticize is the past histories. Uh, this, of course, is not unique to the Chinese scholars. We all, I think, tend to get our own history somewhat wrong. However, it seems like the more serious problem to Chinese scholars since their version of history is not that different from official narratives and popular sentiment, which is nationalism. A good example is their understanding of Tianxia system, Tianxia order. Many scholars outside China, after historical and empirical analysis, found that the Zhao Tingyang's understanding of Tianxia order is highly problematic. There actually were not a single system, but they, there actually were a various types of and the forms of Tianxia system throughout the history, depending on the China's military and economic power. In addition, scholars argue that hierarchy was neither stable nor steady since the emperor did not always have an intention or power to rule the region. The Tianxia system, as Zhao Tingyang understands today, is in a way a something constructed in, in the late 19th century in the course of interactions with Western system. Moreover, the many characteristics of the Tianxia system, such as moral and cultural leadership and voluntary submission from the periphery, turn out to be a myth. The voluntariness and the harmony is the result of the structural power. It may look harmonious from the center, but it was not so harmonious at all from those outside. The historically, scholars argue, the benevolent and the cultural leadership was not so benevolent or cultural at all from the perspective of the periphery. The other problem is, as many other Asian countries, China has been cut off uh, from their own classical intellectual resources and 
they also have to rediscover them and reconnect to their past. The most efforts to build Chinese IR theory is about rediscovering and reconnecting to the Chinese history, tradition, legacy, and culture. But the main question is, first, how much of them are actually left in China today? And then second, how many scholars have a background knowledge and necessary skill to rediscover the past? Let's address the second uh, issue first. Uh, Yan Xuetong, who is mainly searching for the classical IR, uh, classical thinkers uh, to find the implication for IR, he also he acknowledges that there are few scholars in his age in China whose knowledge of classical Chinese is good enough uh, to read the Chi uh, classical Chinese. I am wondering how many of younger generation scholars are willing to and capable of doing this. The Victoria Hui, as mentioned, even suggested. Quote, maybe Chinese outside the mainland China should have less difficulty in learning Chinese classics and history, partly because they use traditional character rather than the simplified character, and partly because they never suffered the onslaughts of Chinese tradition inflicted by the Cultural Revolution and other political campaigns, unquote. The other issue is how much of these traditions are left in China. The China in recent years had gone two revolutions, the Communist Revolution and the Cultural Revolution, and had gone a sharp break from the past. It is questionable how much genuine Chinese tradition and culture are left in the society, and more questionable whether it is even possible to reconnect and rediscover. In addition, the development in China, uh, Chinese society did not occur in vacuum. The interaction with the West and then the modernization has been the key element of the development of the Chinese society. Within this environment, the reconnect or the revival of the past could either be a political project or extremely difficult to do, thing to do. The next problem is uh, related to the, this quote from the Sun Tzu, uh, if you know your enemy and know yourself, you will not be imperiled in a hundred battles. The so far, I comment. I I I have made an argument. I I, made, I commented on the knowing yourself part, but I think the knowing your enemy part is equally problematic. The first understanding of the mainstream IR theory from Chinese scholars are highly limited and somewhat simplistic. The Chinese scholars who work on Chinese IR theory tend to have a dichotomous view of the West and Chinese IR scholarship. Moreover they tend to disregard the diversities and theoretical fine-tunings occurring within uh, the Western IR disciplines. For example, Yan Xuetong's book is, came up with a harsh criticism after its publication because a lot of scholars have been argued that his understanding of the ancient Chinese thought is unhistorical and then, and then the moreover, his understanding of IR theory the mainstream IR theory is not really theoretical. Uh, the reason for this is that Yan Xuetong uh, do not fully recognize or engage with the theoretical development in the West. Oh, the same thing is with Zhao Tingyang uh, of the Tianxia system. Zhao Tingyang's work is pretty much pretty similar. Although he contrasts the Tianxia system with the Westphalia system, the important historical and empirical works and achievements in the Western IR theory is generally ignored in his work. 
So in conclusion, uh, back to my own uh, research question, uh, is it a mirage uh, or an effective alternative? The, apparently, this is not a mirage, since it's not a, an optical illusion. It's, it's there. It's actually happening. Is it going to be an effective alternative? Well, currently, at this stage, less likely. And then there seems to be a more, it seems like there seems to be a more problem than the promises at this stage. However, still, we, I think we cannot ignore the, the potential of these Chinese IR schools for three main reasons. The first, the speed, the speed of development and speed of change is so fast, uh, cannot be ignored. And then second, the number of scholars working on this topic is ever increasing. And finally, the rise of China brings a more frequent interactions between Chinese and Western scholars. So all these three factors, I think, provide extremely, extremely fertile ground for any lucky or timely <coughs> seed of Chinese IR theory to grow extraordinarily fast and rampantly, rampantly outgrown, um, if it has a chance. Thank you very much. For more Griffith University podcasts, go to www.griffith.edu.au forward slash podcasts.